holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Pico del área. Vaya golazo. Vaya golazo de Giroud. El escorpión. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, I'm going to wish you a goodly morning. Goodly morning, right back at you. Yeah. Uh, how, how is how is your morning thus far? It's been it's been relatively goodly, I have to say. It's been great. Uh, yeah, things have been quite goodly indeed since um, since the weekend, since we won four 0 at Swansea. It sort of you know makes the mood good. It keeps you in bright spirits. You're not worrying about um, life. About Arsenal, you just kind of coast along on this sea of of goodliness. Mm, mm. Mm. It's, it's lovely, isn't it? I mean, my Monday started terrifically. A man just rang me from a call centre, seemingly not in this continent, saying that he works for a company who help people claim money if they've had accidents. And he said to me, have you had any accidents in the last three years? I was able to tell him that he has hit the jackpot. <laughs> Have Between I had us. any accidents? Yeah. You- <laughs> Between me and this guy, we're going to be millionaires. I've got him ring me back after the podcast. So, oh, brilliant. I mean, yeah, I might not be on the podcast next week because I'll be sunning myself on my tropical island. Yeah, sitting in a hammock, hammocking away. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, it has been a good weekend. I mean, I think, you know, the Arsenal results are a big part of that. And then the results yesterday didn't didn't exactly spoil the goodly momentum. No, they didn't. I mean, that was pretty much as, as much as we could have hoped for from those games. Everton against Manchester City. I mean, Everton, wow. 4-0. I know... Uh, it, it raises questions about us, I guess, if you look back to what happened in our games. But, you know... That was that was an unexpected humping that Manchester City got. Yeah, at half time, somebody tweeted me. It was I think it was one nil at half time, and they tweeted me saying, "Can't believe we lost to this lot." And I thought, I don't know, I don't know which team you mean. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Everton, pff, they looked. I mean, you know, the, sure they beat us, but this was a, a performance on a different level to that, really. And uh, City just didn't have an answer for it, did they? I mean, they were. They, I mean, there have been games this season where they've completely dominated and missed a load of chances, and it's still lost or, or drawn. But in this one, they were they were nowhere close to running mm. inside. I thought, um, yeah, really, really exposed in a lot of areas of the team. I mean, they've lost uh, a couple of central midfielders, haven't they? In Fernandinho and, and Gundogan, and they had no answer for for what Everton had in that area of the park. Mm. Yeah, and from our point of view, obviously a good result because it's uh, it means that you know they they could have gone above us. I think uh, had they won, uh, so they yeah, remained they below done. us. And and the other game, obviously Manchester City or Manchester United and and Liverpool ending in a one one draw means we close the gap on Liverpool. We extend the gap over Mourinho uh, and Manchester United, uh, who remain in my mind very much like the evil empire 
Like, I think if you dressed up Mourinho as the Emperor from Star Wars, it would work quite well. He's got that kind of, got that kind of face. That's the way his face is going to go as he gets older, isn't it? It's all crinkled with evil and, and nastiness just yeah. oozing from his pores. That's it. The corrupting power of evil will eventually begin to eat his face as it has done yeah. his soul. Uh, but the draw, yeah, the draw does benefit us because obviously it keeps Liverpool very much within touching distance. It keeps United, at, you know, arm's length behind. So, yeah, good weekend. I mean, it is absolutely terrifying quite how intense the competition for that top four is when you when you look at it. I mean, that top six is so close uh, that even when you sort of think. You, you can't afford to not look back as well as forward, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's a significant gap, sl- closed slightly, obviously, by the Everton win, but there's a big gap then to, you know, that from that top six. It is very much a top six, and it's like a, it's like a slugfest, isn't it? It's six heavyweights mm. bashing it out. Obviously, Chelsea have got a big advantage at the moment, but, you know... Who knows what might happen by the time we, we face them? And it is. It's, it's as competitive a Premier League season as I can remember. Yeah, really is. So it's it's that odd thing of being caught between chasing the league and, and looking behind you at the top four. I mean, Chelsea, I have got that massive advantage, but I guess we should probably mention Diego Costa's shenanigans. I mean, who knows what sort of destabilising effect that might have. Didn't seem to have much effect this weekend, unfortunately. Well, no, that's because they were playing a really quite crap team in Leicester. Yeah. <laughs> and the more I... Yeah. The more I see them this season the more last season just feels even more remarkable what happened like it was a dream. yeah, yeah. it, it kind of is you know because they are i mean i guess there's a certain amount now of of leicester players who went well look it's never going to get any better than it did last season uh let's just enjoy the ride a certain amount of resting on laurels going on big players handed big big contracts putting them perhaps in something of a, of a comfort zone. And I think it, it was almost like if you were to leave your house and drive 100 miles and get a green light, every time you came to a red light, it went green. It, it's something like that, what happened with Leicester last season, the way that they won games and the way everyone else fell apart, really. But, that, you know, I was hoping for a bit more from them. Uh, this weekend against uh, against Chelsea, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But Costa, obviously, if he's had a big falling out, it would be it would be a significant blow to Chelsea if that fence was not mended. Which is why I think it will be. Well, I think it has to be. I think they can't really contemplate letting him go at this point in the season. I do think his long-term future has to be in question just because he's never seemed really settled uh, there in London. And and it's certainly true that he's got a frighteningly big offer on the table from China. And I don't know if that would turn his head. It seems it it has done. Um, But I... (sighs) Sorry, you go on. Jump well, in. I was just going to say, we all know Diego Costa is a massive cunt, right? There's no, yeah, sure. there's no question about that. But I, I can't see him. I mean, how, how much of an asshole do you have to be to fuck up your season in January when you could make any mm. move you wanted in the summer? Um, you're, you're, you're playing for a team that's what six or eight points clear at the top of the table. 
the Premier League title looks not necessarily like a shoe-in, but you've got a, an amazing chance to go and win the Premier League. And then in the summer, if you don't want to stay, you you just do what you you got to do as a football player, as we've seen them do before. And you make your move and you take your big money. Like a big money offer from China now is going to be there for him in, in the summer, probably, right? Um, yeah. So you've got to be an enormous prick to to fuck up your your own season from a personal point of view and that of your team. So even, unfortunately, he is. <laughs> but do you think he's that much of an enormous prick? I don't think he is. I think I think this will be blown over, um, and he he'll get back on track and score goals because without him, Chelsea, not that they're toothless, but he's he's a very big part of where they are um, this season. Oh yeah, he's, I mean, he's, I think he's what is he joint top scorer, one behind Alexis at the top of the Premier League. So, yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm obviously hoping for the massive implosion, um, but I'm not like you. I'm not too optimistic. Yeah, well, look, let's uh, let's move on to what we did then at the weekend. Four nil win away from home against Swansea, a team who have in the previous two seasons beaten us three times uh, out of the four games that we played home and away. So they have been something of a a bogey side for us uh, in recent years, but it would also be fair to say that this particular iteration of of Swansea is much less um, of a team than the ones that that beat us. Uh, They look an absolute shambles, don't they? They really do. I mean, they look doomed, to be honest. And, you know, this is one of those games where you looked on paper and you thought, well, this is exactly the kind of away trip we need. You know, Swansea have not been playing well. They're not a good side this season. But there was that slight nagging doubt of, but they've got a new manager, you know, mm. it's their first home game with the new coach. They'll be really up for it. And, I mean, uh, to, I mean, to give them a tiny bit of credit, I actually think in the first 20 minutes, they were better than they have been in their recent games, I would imagine. I mean, there was something about them, and Arsenal weren't, you know, completely on top in that first period. Yeah. But you saw how brittle their confidence was, I guess, once the first goal went in. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Um do you think there's any correlation between Olivier Giroud starting games and Arsenal starting games slowly, which has been a bit of an issue for us over the last few weeks, and it has to some extent coincided with Giroud's return to the team? Mm. I think there could be. I mean, it's something I've certainly wondered about myself because there it's sort of a two ways of looking at the same thing really because he's received a lot of praise for scoring late goals mm. um but you could <laughs> you could flip that round and say well Arsenal aren't really scoring early goals uh, my my hypothesis would be that as the game goes on and defenses get penned deeper um it suits Giroud's style of play more mm. he becomes more effective uh and we don't necessarily start out the game playing in that way that would mm. be my hypothesis is that is that i mean would you concur what's your point? i don't quite know i mean i'm i'm slightly conflicted about Giroud in the sense that i i take my hat off to him in any number of ways that you can take your hat off to a player for the goals that he scored and the contributions mm. that he's made um since coming back i mean i think you can't speak highly enough about his his character um because he's He's had a difficult start to the season. He's had to accept a new role. He has also accepted a new role as a player who knows that his role is going to be diminished 
you know, he signed a new contract. He's committed his future to the club. He's he's obviously a guy who really wants to do well. You can see that, you know, when he hurt himself against Swansea at the weekend, he he wanted to stay on, and he showed, you know, perhaps um, maybe it wasn't the right thing to do, but you know, it showed that the. The desire to do well isn't just restricted to Alexis Sanchez. The desire to push yourself is not just restricted to him either. And the goals that he scored have been fantastic. Um, I think as David Wall has a, a stat that he scored in every single one of the, the games that he started for Arsenal, the last nine or 11 games, uh, stretching back to, to last May. Yeah, Giroud has now scored in nine consecutive starts for Arsenal in all competitions. That's 11 goals, a streak that goes back to last May. I think he's been absolutely great. I, I like him a lot as a player. I think the criticism he gets is over the top and unfair. But I still think that we should be playing Alexis Sanchez as centre forward. Yeah, me too. And that's that's where I'm that's where I'm slightly conflicted. But I do wonder if there's something to the absence of Theo Walcott that plays a part in this, that the manager doesn't quite have enough faith in in other players to do what Walcott does when we play Alexis up front that sees him go with, with Giroud. I'm not quite sure how how he's viewing it but yeah i mean that's that's still my feeling despite the, uh, how well Giroud has done i i feel like we play better and i feel like we would probably start games better with with alexis up there yeah i mean it's interesting you think of alexis playing through the middle and and those kind of early goals i mean i think of that chelsea match you know when we were in new york 3-0 mm. and how effective he was running beyond the the defense in the early period of that game i, I feel exactly the same Giroud's done brilliantly but i do feel like we found something that worked in a much more dynamic and interesting way and i don't think it was purely aesthetic i mean it was i think more entertaining to watch as a rule but i think it was more effective and unpredictable uh, and I, I'm kind of hoping that the return of Theo Walcott is what brings about a reversion to that. Uh, although his absence is sort of quietly protracted, isn't it? I mean, mm. they're talking about a couple more weeks for him. It was only ever supposed to be a few days. So, fingers crossed, we don't end up with a, a, a Santi Cazorla situation. You know, where it's yeah, sort of gets longer and longer. Yeah, well, that's something I think we'll touch on a bit later on. And uh, you know, the, the, the thing with Theo Walcott is, down the years, he has proven himself to be injury prone. There's no, there's no getting away from that. So, um, so there you go. But look, Giroud got the opening goal. Uh, again, probably a goal that that sums him up in in a certain way. Arsenal put together a really brilliant move, lovely move mm. involving uh, Ramsey and Iwobi and Mesut Ozil played it back to Ramsey who who squared it and Giroud just couldn't make the contact, uh, but got himself I think back. That's where he got injured. Yeah, um, just when he collided with the keeper, I think going for, going for that ball. It was a brilliant pass from. Erzo, amazingly, yeah, you know, it's sort of the thing that you you don't even comment on because you're so used to seeing it. But a brilliantly wasted pass for for Ramsey in the build up. There. Yeah, it was good. Uh, ball came to Alexis, cross back in Ozil's header, and it fell to Giroud who uh, who banged it home with his with his right foot. So I mean that that was a a timely goal, obviously uh, to get one just before halftime. And after that, I don't think Swansea Swansea didn't really do do an awful lot. And in the second period. We had what I thought was a, a really outstanding performance from Alex Iwobi. Yeah, no, you won't find any argument for me on that. I mean, I, I've really, really enjoyed watching Iwobi in the last few weeks. It's funny because it wasn't too long ago we were chatting on here about him looking a bit tired and a bit jaded, and he came out of the side for a few weeks and 
Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain appeared to be taking advantage of that, but Iwobi's really stormed back, and I think part of that's physical. I think part of it is confidence as well. There are a couple of goals which helped him. Um, but what, what he showed at Swansea, I mean, it's a shame. It looks like he's, he's going to have that first goal taken away from him. Mm. Um, but his contribution was enormous. Two assists for the own goals and heavily involved in the move for the fourth two. And, you know, whether he's playing on the right or the left or popping up in the middle... He, I'm so, I mean, I'm so glad he's not of the African nations. I'm sorry to any Nigerian listeners, but uh, I, you know, he's in terrific form, and I just love watching him. Everything he does is so mm. smooth and mature and deliberate, and uh, he's really coming into his own right now. Yeah, it's it's fantastic to see this young guy, you know, who's come through the the academy at Arsenal to make a breakthrough, to have the the faith shown in him by Arsene Wenger, to be rewarded by the performances on the pitch. Um, you know, I think I've seen people criticise him and I'm going, look, Jesus, he hasn't even been 12 months in the Arsenal first team. He's 20 years of age. Look at what he can do when he does it. You know, he's not going to be Mr. Consistent straight away. He's still a guy who's learning. And what I really like about him is every time you see him interviewed, whenever you see him take part in, in something, he's he's very grounded. He seems very humble, very willing to learn. He's not a big big head egomaniac who thinks he's you know God's gift or anything like that and I think that attitude is going to be uh, something that stands him in good stead going forward yeah I mean he's a, a dynastic footballer you know the nephew of uh, JJ Okocha but he yeah. doesn't approach it with any kind of entitlement uh, at all and he uh, I think Arsene has talked about his humility and I do think that comes across I mean he seems like a very likeable guy as well yeah. I, mean, I think that's partly you know why you warm to him because he's he just seems like a very a very sort of sweet kid yeah and uh obviously someone who's come through the arsenal academy so it's great to see him excelling i have to say initially as an englishman i was kind of disappointed a little bit that he, he chose to just you know obviously he should make his own choice but he chose to represent nigeria but now with a bit of distance from it i think it probably spares him a lot of scrutiny in this country well and yeah I think that's yeah. Probably a good thing, you know? Yeah, in, in some ways, yes. But, uh, you know, if if he had been, uh, let's say, in inverted commas, an English man or an English international, mm. I, I do think that there will be, yeah, increased scrutiny. But I think people will be talking about him um, with much more reverential terms. Certainly he would be in the press being held up as you know, an exciting, a great talent. And, and he's sort of flying under the radar a little bit. And in some ways, that could be beneficial. Yeah, I, I agree that he probably deserves a little more credit or would certainly get a lot more attention if he were English. But then sometimes I look at the way the press, you know, occasionally go after someone like a Raheem Sterling, say, and I, and I wonder if maybe he wishes he'd chosen to represent Jamaica. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. it's like... Uh, I think that it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? But I think for, for the most part, for Arsenal, you know, we know his value and Arsene Wenger knows his value because he. I don't think many players have been involved in more games this season. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. We can enjoy what he does and, uh, you know, the rest of them can can take it whatever way they want to take it. So, yeah, really, really positive half from him. And he was involved uh, also in the, the fourth goal because he, he uh, had the first goal that looped in. He forced the, the own goal. I think it's fair to say as well that um, even if there was a little bit of good fortune about the, the first own goal or the first goal that it will be scored, whatever way you want to give it, it came at, a, at the end of a period of really intense Arsenal pressure. They were basically hammering the door down uh, and found a way through and, and we got just reward for that. 
Yeah, it, I think I tweeted it at the time. It was one of those periods of pressure where you're like, this is when Arsenal need to score because we were so on top uh, and it felt like this is the chance to kill the game. Uh, and to be fair, we did exactly that. Mm. I mean, on that goal, do you, I mean, I, it, maybe it doesn't matter enormously, but are you of the mind that that's an own goal or would you credit that to a Wobi, the first one? Um, I mean, it's very difficult to know quite where the shot was going. I think it was definitely a shot. There's no question about mm. that. Uh, the second one, no, no doubt that's an own goal. But the um, the first one, I think had it had it been very obviously on target and going into the net, and the guy had stuck his foot out and deflected it in, then I think you give it as a as a goal. I can understand why he wants to claim it, but because there was such a short distance between him and Jack Cork, uh, who stuck his leg out and deflected it over Fabianski, it's 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 a bit more difficult to give it as his goal but i think it's i think it's fair to give him credit for making the goal happen even if he doesn't necessarily uh, end up with the goal being awarded to him yeah yeah i i i guess he'd be credited with an assist maybe i don't yeah, know but don't know, yeah. i'd probably like to see him given a goal for that just because uh, from my point of view it's a, i think it is a shot on target i think that should be the criteria but um you're right, it's difficult to discern exactly where it would have ended up. Mm. But anyway, so that was the first one. Second one, yeah, he went down the left and the uh, ex-Spurs man, Carl Norton, prod it into the net, <laughs> which I enjoyed. Uh, and the fourth goal, the fourth goal, well, Woby did brilliantly on the left, you know, showing power and skill. And then I think Oxlade-Chamberlain, was it? Put it in from the right. Yeah, it was a lovely pass around. from Iwobi. You know, when you look at the pass, oh, yeah, you get, it was yeah. a lovely little reverse pass to put uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain in behind. Yeah, that's right. And then it came out, Aaron Ramsey sort of couldn't quite get a shot away. And the finish from uh, Alexis Sanchez looked absolutely routine, but I thought it was actually a quite brilliant mm. piece of skill to sort of take it on the volley and the turn and just lift it beyond Fabianski. Yeah, it was great. It was real instinctive finishing that. You know, he saw the ball coming and just hooked it in. It was it was really good. I think it's because it's the fourth goal in what w appeared to be a, a fairly routine win, it got slightly overlooked and maybe also overlooked because Sanchez is capable of doing that and much more. Um, you know he's yeah. he's been excellent this season, and um, and that was just another really brilliant goal. So I think that's 15 goals for him already uh, this season, um, which brings us, of course, <laughs> to the uh, to the substitution. Um, <laughs> oh, how do you how do you feel? I mean, I watched your I watched your on the whistle video, and you seemed a little bit uh, put out by it in the heat of the moment, in the cold light of day. What's your what's your thoughts? Well, I Look, I, obviously, I, I mean, I, I, I still think it's over the top, you know. I understand it, but I was like, come on, man, give us a break. And part of the reason I feel like that is because I know that that sort of incident is going to create a whole media storm that's going to, that's not necessarily justified, but that we will have to endure because things will be read into his behaviour. And my suspicion is that he probably doesn't care or think about that uh, because he's a very passionate person. But uh, cynically, I'm a bit like, oh, I, I don't want to have to talk about Alexis Sanchez's future again <laughs> for a little bit. Sure. You know? but, I mean, do you think it's... I mean, the, the most cynical outlook on it is that he is creating an atmosphere or, or scenarios in which he can then 
he can point to those and go, look at, look, I care so much. It's only because I care so much, and that's why I've I've got to leave, or that's why I've got to sure, get sure. three hundred grand. I think that's the most. He's Diego Costering his way out somehow. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, that's the most cynical. Yeah, I, I did mention that, but I don't think. I don't think that that's the case. I mean, frankly, uh, my impression of Alexis is that if he decides he wants to leave, he'll probably do that and not feel too bad about it, and it'll be fairly clinical anyway. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, he's, yeah, a, yeah. he's a professional. I don't think there's going to be a Robin Van Persie-style letter to the guys. I think he's just going to go <laughs> if he wants to go. Uh, so I don't think that's it. I think it's literally just... Look, it's just a bit of petulance, isn't it? It's a thing of I want to, I want to play. I don't want to be taken off. Uh, I mean, it, it is crazy that he can't see the logic to it, but I guess that is also endearing about him as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that he can see the logic, um, but probably yeah. needs a few minutes uh, to calm down and 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 see what it is. I mean, the, to my mind, there's absolutely no question that that was the right decision from Arsene Wenger to take off Ozil and to take off Sanchez. The game is won. We're 4-0 up. The last thing you want is for him to turn an ankle or pull a hamstring or for some wanker to like push him off the pitch like Norwich last season or the season before and he could end up hurting himself. You know, it's it's over. It's done and dusted. We have bigger fish to fry and more difficult games coming up. And in some ways, taking him off is almost like a compliment it's saying to him, "You are so important to this team that we don't we don't need you to uh, to run yourself ragged." I think it was interesting. Arsene Wenger said he's a guy who wants to fight everywhere, sometimes where he shouldn't, um, and and I think it's difficult to separate the two things from from his character, right? That this desire that he has to be involved and to win, you know, that everybody loves him, he's a winner, he's, you know, he shows such passion, all that kind of stuff, that in some ways it is tied in with that reaction when he comes off. Yeah, in, yeah you know, it is. And I do agree with you to a certain extent, it's over the top. Um, and it is perhaps a little bit of, there's a, a little bit of cynical posturing to it. I do, I do have my nagging doubts, but ultimately, I don't think it really matters that much. I think probably someone will have a quiet word um, that if and when this happens again, look, just, just take it for what it is uh, and come off the pitch and sit on the bench with your teammates and enjoy the fact that you know you've played a part in helping us win four nil. But I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a huge, uh, a huge issue. Does he does he like his teammates? Like I can't ever tell. Do you know what I mean? Like does he ever seem happy with them on, on um, the pitch? I I don't know that he really likes anyone apart from his no. dogs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just, feels like he. It, I mean, I don't want to pry into his private life, but I don't know anything about his his private life at all apart from his dogs. I mean, maybe he's just not a people person. Yeah, I, I think he probably is very very much an individualist. I think we can see that in the way that he plays. Um, I mean, he was at the uh, the basketball during the week. Did you see that? All the Arsenal players went to the basketball, to the NBA okay, that was yeah, in yeah. London, and he was out with them. He was there with his agent, uh, which might which might be a sign that perhaps the agent is in London to have some talks about his future. So, but he was there mm. with the chaps, and you know, look, who who knows? He he does. Um, you know, sometimes if you see the. Uh, 
you know when they uh, when the game is over and the TV cameras are around and the players are shaking hands with each other and what have you. You know he's he's happy enough to high five with the guys and you know do the old yes we've won little bit of a hug and what have you. Um, sure. But he does strike me as yes on the pitch he demands the absolute best from everyone while at the same time not necessarily uh, doing it himself. I mean there were a couple of times where he was unhappy at a pass that went astray um, but he's quite capable of making terrible passes himself. You know this is just part of the yin and yang of him I guess. Um, I wouldn't say it's a case that he doesn't like his teammates but I don't think he's perhaps the most demonstrative in in that regard. Would that be fair? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. It's just that, like, you said that thing of, like, oh, you know, he could go and sit on the bench and enjoy the, you know, the fact that the team have fallen up and he's won. I just suddenly thought back and I thought, I don't think I've ever seen him sat on the bench, you know, having been substituted, like, high-fiving and, you know, kicking back with the guys. Mm. But I guess that's just because he wants to be... Above all else, he wants to be on the field. Um, And I do think that, that that attitude... Is is what we admire about him, and, and what makes him a great player. I mean, I think you know, obviously, technically, he's very, very good. But I actually do think it's his sort of competitive streak and individualist nature that that elevates him actually to make him a, a great player rather sure. than a good one. Sure, and I think it's fair to point out as well that people uh, just because they don't react in the way that Alexis reacts, or they don't necessarily, mm. they're not quite as uh, upfront about their their what their desire to win or not so visibly uh, it's not so visibly apparent doesn't mean that they don't care either um you know you, you don't get to this level of football if you're happy just to well whatever you know i think they they all do sure. but it's it's different and obviously when it's um when it's as public as alexis makes it um it, it's divisive i mean it was quite funny to see uh, a lot of a lot of fans react afterwards by saying well you know he can fuck off and he can go and all this kind of stuff it's like it's bizarre yeah yeah. that's wow yeah 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 well now in fairness a lot a lot of it was on facebook um which is (laughs) which is at times a home for the most extreme opinions shall we say but you know to me it's it's just it's bizarre like i can i can understand why you might not like what he did but the idea of uh telling him to fuck off or he can go that is very much cutting off your nose despite your face territory for me well I mean once we've sold him for that and then we've sold Olivier Giroud for his Scorpion celebration and then we can sell Meza Ozil for his for him saying that he won't decide his future until Arsene Wenger decides his yeah. we can you know finally do the cull on this squad that we desperately need absolutely yeah Ozil he's too languid that's what it is his body language is all yeah, wrong we should exactly. we should sell him and get uh, 11 Alexis Sanchez he was delighted see how that to come off Ozil Delighted to come on. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, look, a good weekend, uh, all in all. And I think w- when you look at the next two fixtures that we have in the Premier League, we've got Watford and then we've got or we've got Burnley, then there's an FA Cup game and then there's Watford. Um, we, we're, we're in a, a good position after that stumbling week where we lost to Everton and we lost to Manchester City. Uh, obviously, the Bournemouth game wasn't particularly great, but, you know, we're, we're beginning to... Uh, to move in a, in the right direction again, um, so it's 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 a positive. It's been a positive weekend for the most part. Yeah, certainly. I mean, two home games coming up uh, in the league at least, and two sides that don't travel brilliantly. So mm. yeah, I mean, look, this is the period where we're saying we're trying to make ground on Chelsea before we play them at Stamford Bridge, which is February fourth. Um, 
couple more chances to do that. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not massively anticipating Chelsea dropping points anytime soon. But if we can at least have a head of steam when we go there, mm. we've got a better chance of getting some kind of result. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, just one final thing. A lot of people said that we should uh, just bring uh, Alexis's dogs uh, to the game, so when he is taken off, he can just sit there mm. and play, play with the dogs. So that yeah, yeah, that's a, a very good idea. Are you allowed dogs on the bench? I wonder. Probably I don't no. know. Oh, you could say they're Probably assistance not. dogs, aren't they? I mean, like, if Alexis was blind, he'd be allowed to have his exactly. dog. All we need to do is blind Steve Bold, and then we can get <laughs> get the dogs on there as his guides. Absolutely, It yeah. seems like a small price to pay. Say goodbye to your eyes, Steve Bold. Yeah. It's for the greater good. All right, well, look, we're, we're going to leave it there. We'll come back with part two and your questions right after this. So happy so happy this is fantastic so happy fantastic the fans so happy this is fantastic so happy so happy this is fantastic fantastic so happy I go to hope with my dog This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men. New series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. James, I'm going to give you the honor this morning. You go, you go right ahead with the first question. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. You. You're welcome. Uh, it's, it's been a great day. Mm, what an uh, honor. This question, yeah, this question comes from George Bushell then, who's at that guy, George B, on Twitter. And he asks, what are the chances of Wojciech Szczesny returning this summer to reclaim his number one jersey and with it the first choice goalkeeper spot? Uh, slim, I would say. Uh, <laughs> I, to, I like Szczesny. You know, I, I have never closed the door on, on Wojciech since his departure, um, I, I would like to see him come back. To be honest, uh, and that that could he's be having just, a very good season. Yeah, all accounts. yeah. It's almost as if you know he's playing regular football uh, and he's grown up a bit and has matured a bit as a player. I think he's going to be twenty six, twenty seven uh, next birthday. Um, you know, he'll have had two seasons away in Serie A. It gives him a different footballing perspective, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out a hundred percent. I think much will depend on what uh, 
what David Ospina wants to do. Because obviously he's been given the Champions League games this season and he's playing in, in the FA Cup and he's essentially our, our cup goalkeeper. But I do wonder if, for him, at this stage of his career, if that's enough. You know, he's the he's number one for his country. He'll want to be playing week in, week out. I guess that's um, what, what most players do. I don't think Ospina doesn't strike me as a, a Stuart Taylor kind of a guy who's happy to just never play. Um, so I, I think there's a decision to be made there. If you can see Ospina being given the number one jersey at Arsenal, would that convince him to stay? Maybe it would, but I'm not sure that's what's going to happen. So if he decides to go, we then have a, a Petrchak who is not getting any younger, and then we have a bit of a gap to Emi Martinez, who is just signed a new deal, of course, um, and a, a promising goalkeeper, not young. He's 24, I think, now, Martinez. But again, there's a big, there's a, an experience uh, gap there with him, isn't there? He hasn't played a huge amount. So I think we, we definitely need a goalkeeper uh, to challenge Czech. And I do wonder if Chesney, with his love of Arsenal, having grown up with the club, would be the the ideal candidate for that. So I, I'd like to see it happen, but I'm not necessarily sure it will. So there, that's what I think. If if you could choose, I mean, if you could choose for next season to have Czech, Martinez, and then one of Ospina or Chesney, which one would you choose? Chesney. Mm. What a, is would, that? Is that is that on goalkeeping ability or is that on just just personal yeah. preference? You know, um, yeah. I, I just like Chesney. What can I tell you? I know some people you will like think, Chesney. I just like Chesney. I mean, what's wrong with that? I don't have to justify that to you or anybody else. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I just like him. What can I tell you? You know, people have their favourites, and people might say, "Well, look, he's a dickhead," or he's he's a you know. I wrote a blog about it last week. The ten reasons why we should bring him back. Um, you know, some of it was was slightly tongue in cheek, but part of it is just I I really like him. I think he's a good character. I think he's got a bit of mentalness to him, which I you know I think is probably necessary in in most goalkeepers. Um, and look, I I just like him. What can I? I can't explain it any better than that. And I don't necessarily hate. That's Ospina. the nature of love. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the heart <laughs> wants what it wants, James. I know. I know. Well, I. I I like him too, actually, and uh, not as much maybe as maybe absence. Ma- no, I don't think so. <laughs> clearly, but I think absence makes the heart grow fonder as well. And I sort yeah. of uh, I find myself yearning for him more than I than I ever did. But I always viewed his mentalness as the as a similar kind of mentalness to the one that made Jens Lehmann great. You know, mm. um, I, the question is really if he would come back to play the Ospina role in the squad, having. Mm. Been first choice at Roma for two years. You know? Yeah, that's that's uh, fair. Like if if Arsene Wenger keeps faith with Pet Check as as seems likely to be honest, uh, then Chesney's chances are limited at Arsenal anyway. But I I don't know. The, do you think the fact that he's been sent on loan for two years in a row suggests that there is a chink of light for him that Arsene Wenger would have dispensed with him permanently if he didn't think maybe he'll come back? Yeah, I mean, I my my information. Is is that they didn't close the door on him when they sent him on loan? It, it was it was not a case. Right, let's get him out of the club any way we can. 
you know, they, they put a lot of work into Wojciech Szczesny. You know, he became first choice at 19 or 20 years of age, which shows that mm. they, they saw talent in him and potential in him. And it went a bit arseways. And sometimes that happens and maybe a player needs to mature and needs to grow up. Um, so I don't think the door is closed on him coming back. But again, it depends on on the circumstances, I think. Yeah, well, there we go. Maybe, mm. maybe we'll see Wojciech next year. Never maybe know. we will. That would be nice. Okay, here is a question from Gaz Roberts, who's at Gaz Roberts one And he says, with his injury record, would you renew Cazorla and who would be a suitable long-term replacement? Um, I, the replacement thing we don't necessarily have to touch on because it's very difficult to to uh, to find a player exactly like him, which is something we, we've spoken about. But it's a concern, isn't it? The news that we got last week that he's had to undergo another little procedure for the Achilles and Arsene Wenger has put his participation in this season uh, in doubt uh, a little bit because of this uh, because of this injury. It's a real blow. It's a real blow and it's a real shame because he's so fantastic to watch. And also because... You know, Per Mertzsacker as well is in the final year of his contract. They've not had much luck, have they, those mm. two guys? Um, and I guess maybe that's a, a sign. I, it could just be misfortune or it could be a sign that physically, you know, things are beginning to take their toll on them slightly. I Would I extend his contract? I, I, I Possibly. Yeah, probably, because he is such a unique talent. Um, and as much as you love Chesney, I love Santi, you know. I think he's... I think he's brilliant. I think mm. he's marvellous. And I, and I think that if he can... I guess he, he'd have to come back and sort of demonstrate some sign that he was going to return to fitness before the end of the season. Uh, I mean, everything suggests that the Arsenal squad, Arsenal team knew that he had this underlying issue, mm. that this was a possibility, that this could happen this season. Um, it's gone that way. But I think, yeah, I think because of the difficulty of replacing him, I'd still... I'd look to keep him on, and I think it's a it's a risk. But uh, you know, we've seen Arsene Wenger prepared to take that risk with plenty of players in the past. But, what would but you do, do? Do you not fear that, like he's thirty two years of age now, and that's clearly not over the hill, but certainly heading into the the autumn, twilight, the twilight of of his yes. career to to an extent. Um, is there not a danger that by keeping him? And I, I love him too. I love watching him. I think he's absolutely sensational as a footballer. But people have said, you know, we're quite reliant. We have to find a way to play without Santi Cazorla. Would that in some ways make that process a little more difficult if Cazorla w- was still around? Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Um, there's certainly an argument that could be the case. I, I guess I would sort of... Uh, <laughs> Keep him around, but not necessarily lean on him quite so heavily because mm. you know it's you know he's out at the moment, and as much as it's a problem for us, it is also a positive thing that we're seeing other people get a chance to establish a midfield partnership. I mean, Ramsey and Xhaka played again at the weekend, and uh, it's, it's it's very early to make mm. calls on that, but there's definitely potential in it. I thought Aaron Ramsey actually had a a really good performance uh, at Swansea, you know, and I yeah. think watching him link up with Meza Ozil again and link up with Alex Iwobi, and he plays well off Giroud too. You, you know, you saw his potential in that central midfield role. Mm. So I, I guess I'm just finding it hard to to acknowledge that and let go of Santi. I think that, you know, uh, given the choice to keep him, 
I, pr- I probably would. So do you think you'd be able to be like, oh, no, let's call it a day, let's go our separate ways? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's there's been a tendency down the years um, from Arsene Wenger, from the club, to show loyalty to players at a stage in their career when they've given a lot to the club and when perhaps, if you were being completely cynical and harsh, you might say that was the wrong decision, you know? Mm. But again... On the one hand, people want to talk about Arsenal as a club that has class and all that kind of stuff. So do you, you know, turf a guy out because he's he's knackered or his injury problems are chronic? You know, it, it's a very difficult decision um, for the club to make. I guess it will depend on what the long-term prognosis is for, for Sandy Cazorla. Is this surgery going to repair that uh, Achilles problem to the extent where he can play uh, at, at his highest level again because that's what we need and if there's course, doubts would... you know it will depend on the it will depend on the prognosis on the medical prognosis it is really difficult I mean I, I would be inclined to say yes keep him but whether or not he would ever be a first choice player for us again I have my doubts about that I have serious doubts about whether he could be and whether he should be. That's the other side of the coin, you know, that that people talk about how do you find a replacement for Cazorla. I don't think you do. I think you find a different way to play. You've got to find a different combination in midfield. And whether Cazorla can then fit into that system, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I just can't... When you look at... European football, it is difficult to, to pick out players mm. who are quite as good at him, uh, mm. what he does. So uh, it felt like, you know, I always said it felt like something that happened slightly by accident, putting Santi Cazorla in that deep lying midfield role. And mm. I don't think anyone anticipated him being as good there as he was. Yeah. And I think that it was, it was lovely for a time, but we probably have to find something that's more, well, certainly more reliable on the fitness front mm. uh, from now on. Mm. Um, good luck with that in the yeah. Arsenal squad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's have another question. Um, oh, so uh, Mark Lee at Morphic Field says, Today is Nicholas Bentner's birthday. Uh, who would you say was the worst striker we have had in the Arsene Wenger era? Oh, my goodness. Um, who was the worst? I mean, I guess there were... shouts for Cabadiawara. Yeah, I mean, that's I remember that's him fair. fondly, though. I remember him as a guy who, like, kept hitting the bar in the post, but had those gone in... You know, I don't. I don't different. remember him that fondly because I think was it that game against Leeds when, yeah. uh, and he hit the post a couple of times in that game, and then did we, we can see was that the one where we conceded the late goal to Hasselbank, Hasselbank, and yeah, that yeah. pretty much fucked our title chances. So I don't necessarily remember Cabadiawara with any great um, <laughs> fondness, to be perfectly honest. But again, he's a guy whose expect expectations of him were pretty low, weren't they? So yes, you've I got think to, he came on low. Yeah, you've got to balance. Oh, no, all totally briefly. Yeah, you've got to balance the the expectation and perhaps the price tag with with what we got from a player. I mean, someone who was really disappointing uh, was, I guess, Francis Jeffers would have been one, considering yeah. how much money we paid for him at the time—eight or nine million pounds, which was high back then. Um, but obviously, was never able to stay fit. Um, so he he was he was disappointing. Um, who else? Jeffers is a good shout. Mm. Um, I mean Park inevitably people will there'll be calls for Park, but uh, you know what were expectations for Park? You know what did you say? Park, hang on, what was it? Oh, sorry, I said Park. On your mouth, 
still got trouble on your mouth. Trouble on your mouth. So much trouble. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. Had to. I had that to. That brings back memories. It sure yeah, does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Park, again, but that was a bizarre, weird transfer for, what, two and a half million quid in that mental summer of 2011, last minute, last ditch. I don't know who the fuck <laughs> made that decision, but that, that really didn't work out at all. But again, it was uh, he was not a guy who we expected to come in and, and score lots of goals, I don't think. Um, no, I'm just trying to think, really. I mean, you know, by the end, Maran Shamat was a disaster, mm. but he burned so brightly early on. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did. He had, a good, he had a good start, didn't he? But, it, you know, he was a free transfer. He was a free transfer. So... You know, remember that when we didn't have any money, terrible yeah. times. I mean, uh, Podolski maybe as well. I think was brought in as a striker, but that experiment didn't last very long. Well, um, if you assessed him purely on his performances as a striker, yeah, you know, as a number nine, then he was probably one of the very worst because he didn't play at all ever well there. Yeah, uh, there've been a few concerns. I suspect it's someone from the kind of. The Chris Ray Cabadiawara era, probably. There's, there's probably someone we're forgetting, a Fabian Caballero or something like that. Yeah, but again, those are guys who were, were not really expected to have any significant impact, you know? True. Um, I, you know, a, a big anything, money... Chris Ray exceeded expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, has there been like a big money striker signing that has been a complete flop? Oh, Jose Reyes, maybe. Yeah, again, bought as kind of a wide man more than a yeah. more than a striker. Um, I think in terms of expectations, though, yeah. you know, there was so much excitement, and he really, it really petered out for him. I think Jeffers is a good shout. Yeah, that, I think that I think did we, not work out. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, it's not it's not really relevant because he wasn't entirely a striker. But a separate question: uh, Louis Anguna at Ricky Turn has tweeted in. Do you ever think to yourself, "Man, I really miss Jovino"? I mean, no, no is the answer. <laughs> I, I, you know, no, would also be my answer. Um, I, I've tried very hard to forget Gervinho on, on as many levels as possible. I mean, we talked about Leicester winning the league feeling like a fever dream. I feel somewhat the same about Gervinho's Arsenal career. It was, yeah. I suppose in time we might be able to look back and laugh. <laughs> but it not yet. It was really bizarre soon. at times. It was really bizarre at times. It was weird, wasn't um, it? Didn't he get sent off on his debut? For like a, I think he did against Newcastle, yeah. A little thing with with Joey Barton, and uh, you know, I think people had some some sympathy for him for that. But I have to say, his his ability to trap a football further than most people can kick it was remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I remember, wasn't there one? It could have been against. It could have been against Manchester City, and it was just the most classic piece of Arsenal football you ever saw. Tore the defence apart, a beautiful ball straight through. He's like clean through on goal. All he had to do was just take a touch and finish, and he fucking clumped it almost straight into the arms of the goalkeeper. And you're going, "Oh my god, what yeah. the fuck? How? What? How? What? You get paid so much money just to like be able to control a football. You know, you look at some of the players." And, uh, you know, a high ball comes in and they stick a foot out and they cushion it and they bring it down. And it's, you know, we, we look at that as almost matter of fact. Uh, mm. And it's absolutely, it's amazing skill to be able to do that. And then you look at Gervinho and think, how the, f what, just, what, why, why, please, why did this happen to us?
Why yeah. did why? It was What it was did an we do? Extraordinary thing. <laughs> I don't know. And and what's weirdest about it uh, is that his previous club Lille, he he was excellent and and uh, Roma, you know, I think he had a bit of a, a renaissance. Uh so it was just something, some incredible chemistry of Arsenal and Jovino just did not work at all, didn't mm. it? Um, but at one time, he was the solution at number nine. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, God. Heady days. Oh, fucking yeah. hell. And people think things are bad now. Holy shit. Did he ever score? Did he score a hat-trick for us once? Have I made that up? I think you have, yeah. I think I think that was a fever dream. That definitely <laughs> was. <laughs> You're on the good drugs that day, that's for sure. Didn't score. Did he score? Oh right. I don't know. I'm going to have to have a look now and see. Did he ever score in more? Javinho than- hat trick. I'm. I'm. Uh, Javinho praises the outstanding Javinho. Osmenga praises the outstanding Javinho after he inspired the Gunners to a four-one romp over Reading. Right. The Ivorian starting his first Premier League game since December. Oh no! He could have grabbed a hat trick. That's the crucial phrase. He could have. <laughs> the former Liverpool could have grabbed a hat trick. Right. He's Arsenal told Sky Sports he is what you want from a striker. Dangerous. <laughs> he scored and gave assists. <laughs> the only regret is that he had a few more chances to score. But you cannot fault his performance today. He was absolutely outstanding. But that was that was the thing. Like there were times where you went, "Holy shit! This guy could be really fucking good." He scored twice against Southampton in a six-one win, um, and he got—I think he got nine goals in 2012-13. Um, but it's it's fairly safe to say it was a transfer that that did not work out. Yeah, no, he never scored a hat trick. And I think you know we've we've gone beyond uh, the main point of this, which of course is to wish uh, Nicholas Bentner a happy birthday. Quite literally, the greatest striker that has ever lived. Of course, the greatest striker of all time. Mm. Um, Happy birthday, Nick. Uh, Your question? It is indeed my question, and all I have to do is find one. Okay, here's one from Chris (laughs) Garment at Garmentic A on Twitter. Uh, He said, if you could combine any two of Alexis, Ozil, Henri and Bergkamp to make a super player, which two would it be? Alexis, Henri... Ozil Burk- and Burke. Uh, uh, so you need okay. you need to make one super player from any two of those. Ooh, ooh, I like it. Um, I think, I think it would be. Uh, I mean, look, any two are going to be good. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. Right. Any any combo there is going to be pretty strong. So. It strikes me that there's kind of two categories of player there. I feel like Alexis and Henri are sort of kind of of a type, and then Ozil and Burkamp are kind mm. of of a type. Now, you could combine Alexis and Henri, and if you put Henri's athleticism and grace with Alexis's ingenuity and desire, mm. you'd have a pretty unstoppable striker. Um, but equally, I think to get the... I think to get the most rounded, brilliant player, you want to take sort of a little from column A, a little from column B. So, Henri was quite creative. People forget, you know, that he was. That's uh, true. Yeah, he was a, a creative force as well as a goal scoring one. He he got a lot of assists. That is true, actually. Um, I think I would take. Oh, I don't know. You know, I mean, the funny thing is, if you could give Urzo a little bit of Alexis, oh, what a player he'd have there. Yeah. Mm. His finishing ability and um, 
kind of trying and stuff. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think, uh, I mean, I'm finding it very hard to just not say Burkamp and Henri, and I wonder if that's because of their kind of legendary status. I feel like Ursula and Alexis are kind of the modern counterparts who quite, haven't quite reached that that level. Mm. Um, so I think Burkamp and Henri, I think you get a pretty handy kind of, you know, nine and a half striker out of that. Uh, I can't think of many things they couldn't do between them. What would, what would you say? Uh, you know, just to be different, I'm going to say Bergkamp and, and Ozil. Ooh. Mm. Just, ooh. Ooh. What would that look like? I, I, I don't know quite what it would look like, but it would be capable of scoring goals and it would surely, if you, if you uh, added Bergkamp's creativity to Ozil's creativity, you could play Gervinho up front and you create so many chances that even when he missed nine of them, he'd score the tenth one. You know, I, I think that would be something I, I, I'd like to see. I think that's true. I think what Burkamp would give Ozil is kind of composure in front of goal and uh, a little bit of needle as well. Let's like, mm. not forget that about Dennis. And I think what Ozil would give Burkamp, one of the things that strikes out of me is it's kind of stamina, like ability to cover ground. I mean, Burkamp was kind of a 10 or a striker, but Ozil is a, a more of a midfield player. If you look at how much ground he covers in any one game, he's kind of everywhere on the pitch. And yeah. having Burkamp be that mobile would Ooh. be very dangerous indeed. Ooh. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like it. I like it. I think in the future, I hope that this sort of thing will actually be possible. Yes. We can make these dreams come true. Yes. I mean, if, if uh, in Futurama, people's heads can live on in jars, pretty much anything could happen. Exactly. All right. Uh, and Futurama is, as far as I'm aware, some sort of Tomorrow's World-style documentary. It definitely is. It's uh, a, a glimpse into our future, a terrifying future that it might be, but it, it still is. Uh, so the next question <laughs> is from Face the Face the Facebook the Facebook uh, as the kids call it, and it's from Stefan Burkamp Grottom. I don't listen. I don't know if Burkamp's his real middle name. If it is, I congratulate his parents. Yes, that would be uh, a, a marvelous thing to bestow upon any child. I named this child James Burkamp McNicholas. I actually might name my child Burkamp as a middle name. I think it's got a certain. I like it. Burkamp McNicholas sounds good. Yeah. Um, Maybe I should marry Dennis uh, and breed. <laughs> so I feel like I know your answer to this. It's a bit like the Javinho question, but I, I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Uh, Payet, should we go in with a sneaky bid? He can cover a lot of positions and also maybe become Cazorla's replacement at central midfield. No. 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 It's a no from you. It's definitely uh, a no from me. And is that entirely on his playing ability or is that informed by his character? Uh, a little bit of both. I think he's a, a good player but he's, what, 29 now? Yeah. And clearly a wanker. Well, there's that, yeah. <laughs> um, and look, you know, I, I don't think we can cast too many aspersions on uh, footballers who decide they don't want to play at a club. It happens all the time. Um you know the way he's behaved is not great, uh, but you know he's not he's not alone in that. He's not a unique case in, in that regard. I just feel like he's a player that when the chips are down or when you really need someone to dig in, I think it's apparent that he's not that guy. He's not the guy who's got the character who can really lift a team. Uh, he scores some good free kicks, 
Mm. But Very good I don't you. think that's enough. I don't think that's enough. Um, I also don't think he's a Cazorla. Like, when we talk about Cazorla, uh, we, you know, we, we think of him now as a kind of deep player, whereas I think Pius is an attacking player. So I don't think that's a, a particularly appropriate comparison. I, I just think... Yeah, look, Arsene Wenger has said himself, he's looked at Payet many, many times. Maybe he couldn't have anticipated, well, I don't think anyone could have anticipated the impact he would have at West Ham in that first season. But if he'd wanted him in the past, he could have had him, mm. I'm sure. And uh, he's he's not done that. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure it should, especially in the light of this, yeah, the recent turn of events, which doesn't paint him in a particularly positive light. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's 30 in March, so... That's not a guy for the future, and I don't think, like you say, he can play the uh, he can play the 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 Cazorla role. I'm just looking at his stats here. So last season he had nine goals and twelve assists for West Ham. Previous season for Marseille, seven goals and sixteen assists. Um, season before that, slightly less for Lille, he had twelve goals and thirteen assists in 2012-13. So he's a guy who's enjoyed you know, a good second period to his career as he heads towards 30 years of age. But no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go near him at all. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, Okay. mm, Well, that's that sorted. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, This one comes (laughs) from uh, Raj Sapadine, who's also on the Facebook. We are the Facebook, uh, of course. Uh, And he says, if you could take Serge Gnabry back, as per today's newspaper malarkey, would you? What what is the precise? I haven't read the malarkey. The yet. malarkey, it? yeah, it was in it was in the Malarkey Express, basically. Yeah. Uh, Gnabry okay. said he's enjoying playing for Werder Bremen, but look, if if Chelsea or Arsenal came back in for me in the summer, I'd certainly consider it. Something like that, something like that. Right. So that's right. his. I mean, he's. He's having a good season in the Bundesliga, according to his stats. Anyway, he's got seven goals from 15 appearances. Um, I mean, he's a good player. He's a lot very talented, and he seems to be free from injury, which has always been the main thing for him. Mm. Uh, I, the only way I could see him coming back to Arsenal is if Arsenal have worked in some kind of canny buyback clause, which we did used to, I think, do things like that. Mm. Um but I, I certainly haven't read anything to suggest that that would be the case in this instance. If anything, it seems a bit like he's destined to end up at Bayern Munich. Maybe he's just throwing that out as a red herring yeah. to kind of cover whatever shady deal that is. <laughs> Wasn't there some talk about that that, uh, that that Bayern were involved in this deal with Werder Bremen? Yeah. That you know, his dad, I think, had said something to that effect or, or, or something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a strange situation. I, I felt like he should have stayed. I understand why he wanted to go, and there's no question that Arsenal wanted to keep him. Arsene Wenger mm-hmm. was very explicit about wanting to keep him, um, and you can probably see why because of uh, what he's doing in the, in the Bundesliga thus far. I mean, if you think about it in some ways, he's a little bit like Iwobi in the sense that he was given... Uh, a chance in the team at a time when the team was, 
I'm not going to say necessarily struggling, but uh, when other players hadn't been terribly convincing, and you can point to Iwobi coming into the team against Barcelona last season at the expense of someone more experienced like Theo Walcott, right? Uh, And Gnabry was given a go in the team as well when we weren't necessarily at our best and, and we needed something fresh. And it looked for a time like he was a guy who could give us that. I remember a game, was it away against maybe Crystal Palace, and I think he scored away against Swansea as well. You know, the the, the potential was there, but the injuries obviously played a, a, a big part in that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, would I take him back? Maybe, yeah. Do you think he would have got games looking, looking at the way the squad's formulated this year? I, it might, if he had stayed, I do wonder if we would have bought Lucas Perez, for example. Right. So I think had he stayed, I don't know that we would necessarily have brought in another attacking player, which would then have given him chances to to play games. I think he would have been on the bench a bit. I think he would have played in the Capital One Cup games, the FA Cup games. I think in some of the European games, he, he might have been given a chance and then it would have been up to him. I think he would have been given a chance. I think he would have been given games by Arsene Wenger, but obviously uh, we were unable to to reach any kind of agreement with him about his future and the club decided well given that um we will we'll sell him but i i'm a little bit surprised that we didn't include some kind of either sell on clause or 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 an option on him were he to go on and 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 perform because that's the big risk isn't it about young players when you let them go when you invest a lot in them and they don't quite make the breakthrough all those things that you saw in the player in the first place are still there and if they go on somewhere else to fulfill that potential, then, you know, it's it's uh, it's a bit heartbreaking, I guess. So I'm a bit surprised, but maybe that was just part of the, the deal. Yeah, I mean, Madrid and Barcelona are quite good in that respect, aren't they? When they let players go, they often build something in. You look at what happened with Morata yeah, I mean, that was this ri- summer. Yeah, so uh, ridiculously complicated, wasn't it, you know? I know, I know. But, I mean, I guess they're protecting themselves, aren't they, yeah. against, you know, the, exactly that scenario. Um, yeah, it's a shame what happened with Gnabry, but I kind of feel like, uh, ultimately, he forced his way out of the club. You can understand why he did it, but he wanted to go, you know, he wanted to play every week. Mm. Felt like he wasn't going to get that chance at Arsenal. I think the real frustration was uh, the fact that we'd stood by him through a lot of injury problems, mm. and the minute he's fit, he was gone. You know, that's yeah. the difference between him and a lot of other young players. But, um yeah, I think, sadly, that ship has sailed. I, I think it'll be at Bayern within a couple of years, probably. Yeah, all right. Have you got one- it is Bayern and not another big English team. That would be more... more yeah, painful. well, interesting that he mentioned Chelsea, so mm. maybe there's been some yes. contact there. Who knows? S- scary. Mm. Um, have I got any more? Uh, yeah, this one I quite like. This is from a man who's at AmanATD on Twitter and says, who would you rather see finish outside the top four, United or Spurs? Um, that's a really good question. I think probably... We can have both, though. Let's cross yeah, all our fingers. Of, cro- of course, that could happen. I think probably United. Yeah, I think so too, actually. Which because, seems- yeah... Like I'd love to see Spurs struggle at Wembley again next season's Champions League, you know, and then have to play uh, their Europa League games at 
Wembley in front of six people or whatever it is, you know, or selling tickets for two quid and, and what have you. So that would be good. But, you know, I think it would be a big dent to the to the ego of Mourinho and uh, Zlatan and, and all those guys. And I tell you what, I have to say, I, know, I can see why United fans really like him. But Ander Herrera, he's a right little cunt, isn't he? He is. He's kind of Ramirez reborn, isn't mm, he? Yeah. <laughs> he's doing it like I mean he's out there to do he's clearly been given explicit instructions by Mourinho to be a complete spoiler uh, as much as possible in midfield but you know to get back to the question I think it would hurt Manchester United a lot more Tottenham have got this distraction of a new stadium being built having to play at Wembley you know uh, another season perhaps in, in the Champions League where things don't go well I, I would prefer to see United finish out of the top four yeah and I think the fact that Spurs have got to build this uh, stadium means that you know that kind of impedes their financial power slightly um, even if they get Champions League qualification mm. as we know you know very much to our cost so I think uh, yeah I think if we can keep United out I think we'll be sort of halting their mm. return to the summit and the longer we do that the better frankly. yeah yeah uh, okay um, I think that's about it for this week although I do have I one more actually oh, go I have on. one very quick one um, uh, Nick, oh shit, I should have read this before I even tried to pronounce, oh, God damn it. Is it the name you're struggling on It's the here? name, Nick Zelenikov, Zeleznikov. Nick, Nick sent in a question. Nick, I should have just gone with Nick, yeah, who's at Russian boy underscore NZ, who says, could our slow start be a tactical ploy to lull the opposition into a sense of supremacy and then tire them? And Scott Baker at Scotty underscore Baker wants to know, fitness staff have copped uh, some flack in the past, but maybe now do some credit for our strong finishes slash late wins. Uh, there may be something in that. I think Arsenal look look like a fit side at the moment, you know. And we, uh, the 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 injury situation. I know we have some injuries now, but I do feel like the injury situation at the club has changed over the past couple of years. Mm. It's tended to be more impact injuries than muscular ones um, that have kept players out. Uh, is it a tactical ploy? Probably not, <laughs> no. because really, I I don't think there's anything that settles you down and helps you like an early goal. Mm. Uh, and if you take an early lead, it's so advantageous. And the stats back that up. Um, so I would say, no, not on purpose. All right, I would agree with that. Um, OK, well, look, we, <laughs> we'll leave it there. Um, we've got a game against Burnley. Is it Saturday or Sunday? It's Sunday 2pm, I believe. Sunday at 2pm. The worst kickoff of the week. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, look, we're your roasts, guys. <laughs> we will, uh, we will be back next week uh, with another Arscast extra. I'll be here with an Arscast on Friday, looking ahead to to that exciting game against Burnley and all the rest of the stuff that's happened during the week. So until then, take it easy. Bye bye. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.